Our Father in heaven, we're called Reforming Church, which means many things to us because of the message of Jesus to the world. We thank you that Jesus changes everything. And Lord, particularly today, we recognise that to be named Reforming Church is to recognise that we are a church of sinners. We have problems. And now all the more we live in a COVID world and that adds to our problems. And so we're asking you today that by your power, your spirit, you would so speak to us from your word that we would be honest and real about our problems and that you would make the good news of Jesus real to us again and change us in Jesus' name. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, our friend. Amen. Today we're in Acts 6 verses 1 to 7. And in this short episode, we're looking at a question, a question that comes for every church, and even particularly Reforming Church, how do we respond when problems come? What about when problems come? That's the title of this sermon. What about when problems come to the church? You see, unity can be a problem within a church, within any church, within Reforming Church, can't it? There's the story of an Australian who was shipwrecked uh, on a desert island, deserted island. And, uh, and the story goes, it's perhaps a, a mythical story, a bit of a legend, but the story goes that, that he was there and he built himself some shelters out of driftwood. And so being an Aussie, what did he do? He, he built himself a, a pub and he built himself a, a footy club and he built himself um, perhaps a shelter to live in because that's important as well, keep the rain off, and um, built himself uh, a couple of chapels in the end. Now, he was rescued, right? And his rescuers came to shore, they found him, and they took care of him. And as they were getting him ready to leave this island that he'd been there for years, they said to him, hey, mate, like, I love what you've done with the driftwood and all the, the stuff you, you've built here. You know, you've got a pub and you've got a, a footy club where you've kicked the ball around and kicked the coconut. And uh, you've even built a great little shelter for yourself over the years. But here's, we're puzzled. Our question is this. Like, we see one chapel, but actually we see two chapels. Why have you got two chapels? And he said, classic answer, he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's simple. You see, uh, I used to go to that church, that chapel, but I didn't like the people there, so now I go to this chapel, this church. Churches are full of sinners, even if it's one. Churches are full of sinners. I'm a sinner which means churches will always have problems because we've always got sinners. You've got me, I've got you. As we come to Acts chapter 6, we look at the reality of what that is like, even for the early church. The context of this episode in Acts 6, the Bible reading we heard as Cameron read it a moment ago, the, the context, of course, in this series in Acts is so far we've seen the early church has grown, it's multiplied, disciples are multiplied, but you can also see in the background that Satan, that great enemy of the church, that enemy of Christ, is trying to kill the church. And how does he do it? He tries a couple of ways. He tries persecution. He tries to kill the church through being persecuted, being run out of town. But it's not just outward, external things that he tries to kill the church with. He also tries to kill the church internally. And he does that through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is that great and terrible thing that Jesus rails at. And we see that episode in Ananias and Sapphira. 
You know, we saw it before where you know, Ananias sells some land and, and comes along to the, the church and says, yeah, this is all the money I got for this land. And they say, you sure? Yeah, sure. No worries at all. Boom, he's dead. He's gone. Because to have events like that happen in the church where great hypocrisy happens could kill a church, could kill a fellowship. And we've previously seen the context in the book of Acts. Now we come to Acts chapter 6. And in this chapter we see, in this episode we see internal divisions in the church family. If pressure and persecution comes from the outside, well, the other threat to the church is problems come from the inside. We see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, you see that increasing in number, the church is growing, isn't that great? But then, Acts 6, verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You see, if it's not fighting the good fight on the outside, the church always needs to be aware of fighting on the inside, stopping the fights on the inside. Reforming Church, we are a church plant. If you've been around with us since the beginning, that means you've been around with us seven years. We are seven years old, actually more now, seven and five months old as a church, which means we were able as a church to do something lots of other churches have not been able to do in our generation. We're able to start something from scratch. We're able to see uh, this church planted and watered with the word as God gave the growth, which is 1 Corinthians 3. And as a church plant, that meant a few things we're able to start. We're able to start primarily what's really important to us, a gospel culture. We're able to start from the beginning, this is who we are as a church, this is what we value, this is who we value, and that means this is our culture. And if you come along to our church, you're new to our church, and you want to take culture in a different direction, well, you're going to actually find that hard because culture is not just a strategy paper you put on a wall or on a website. Culture is a a hundred, a thousand decisions and a hundred or a thousand responses. It's the way we live and move and have our being, and that is shaped by the gospel here. But here's the thing, while we can create culture in a church, what we can't create biblically is unity. This is very important. Uh, We actually don't create unity in a church. Uh, We actually see that that doesn't happen by any other way but through Jesus. Now, I know it's very fashionable today uh, to be seeing this happen a lot, even in Bendigo. I I see this, we see this, that lots of, um, perhaps it's a church or a parachurch organization. Um, Perhaps it's someone saying that we are going to be the ones that helps create church unity. But here's the thing, according to the Bible, we don't create the unity. We don't create unity. This is really important to get. We don't create unity. Jesus is the person who creates unity. It's not a congregation, not a denomination, not a parachurch organization, not a social care and justice organization, not a church planning network, not a big Christian conference, not even a prayer network creates Christian unity. What creates unity? It's the gospel. The gospel creates unity. Jesus Christ creates unity for us in the gospel by peace with God and one another by his blood through his spirit, even in the church today. So if we don't create unity in a church, what's our part? Well, Ephesians, after many places you can go to, but Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, Ephesians, we read our part is not to create unity, 
It's to maintain it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, that we be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's the thing for today. Here's what's before us in Acts 6 in this episode. When problems come, it's not up to us to create unity again. No, we can't create unity. It's up to us to maintain the unity Jesus Christ has created for us. So how do we do that? How do we maintain the unity when problems come between people in the church? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to outline three things that just come from this passage. This is how we preach and teach a reforming church. We, we get it all from God's Word. I'm not making this stuff up. It comes straight out of the Bible. And there are three things we see in Acts 6 verses 1 to 7 of how we maintain unity when problems come in the church. Firstly, we need to recognize the problem. Secondly, we need to organize ministry. And thirdly, prioritize prayer, proclamation and people. That's the three-step plan that God gives us. That's his vision for the church when it comes to problems and disunity in Acts 6 verses 1 to 7. First, we need to recognize the problem. Go back to Acts chapter 6 verse 1 and notice this, a complaint arises. Now, it's, it's, it's horrible to think that there would be complaints in church, isn't there? Well, actually, it's normal to think there's complaints in church. Sometimes we have new people come to Reforming Church and they're checking us out. Perhaps they want to join as members. That's a wonderful thing. And maybe they've come from churches or you come from a church that's hurt you. Please don't expect that we won't. We don't do it intentionally, of course. It's not in our strategy paper on a page or on a website. But, but don't think that because other churches are ones that could easily hurt someone that we're not immune to that. We've got a church full of sinners. We're called Reforming Church, not Perfect Church. In fact, it's been said before, if you think you've found a perfect church, it's probably a greater problem for you because a perfect church will end up crushing you under expectations, under superficiality of you've got to have it all held together. But when you come to a reforming church, when you come to a healthy church, you don't have to pretend to have it all together. You don't have to pretend that you've got it sorted and that everyone else has got it sorted. No, reforming church, we are real and honest and we are messed up. And Jesus is the one that says, come in your mess. That's our church. And notice this, this early church is just the same. It's not like the early church in the book of Acts is an idealized, picture-perfect model of what the church should look like. The book of Acts and the New Testament shows us a picture of the early church that had problems. And if you don't believe me, I mean, read the rest of the book of Acts. Read 1 Corinthians. Read Galatians. Read Colossians. This is a church with problems. A church with even complaints. And here we see the complaints are real. The problems are real. And they're they're really hard. You see, problems that face the church aren't things like cracks in walls and poles that need painting or weeds in the garden. They're not the main problems we face. They're little problems, they're structural things to be fixed, but they're not the main problems at the heart of a church, because the heart of a church is not a building, although we're thankful for buildings like Reforming House. Now, the heart of the church is a people. And the problems that come to a heart of a church come through the people. And this is the issue here in Acts 6. A complaint by the Hellenists, that is probably Greek-speaking Jews, comes against the the Hebrews, probably um, Hebrew-speaking, Aramaic-speaking Jews. They probably 
didn't necessarily have a language barrier. They probably all could still understand each other in some way. But do you notice this? The problem is not even so much about the language. It's a problem of ethnicity. It's a problem of a people. This happens in churches. People want to find a line to divide upon. And they've found their line. See, most likely it's a division not about language. The scholars debate exactly how it's come about. Mostly, it's not so much the language, it's from the basic human level sin that started in the garden, at the fall. The problem with this complaint is finger pointing. And it leads to an attitude that is old as Adam and Eve. It's an attitude of us and them. And us and them often falls along ethnic lines. A sense of ethnic unfairness quickly becomes personal. Reforming church, friends, can, I just, can we just be honest here? If we start hearing us and them, or if I start believing that in my heart, holding on to that as kind of like a, a grudge that leads to bitterness, that kills your spiritual life. The us and them is a real problem in a church. And here is the complaint over food sharing with the widows in the church not being cared for. And caring for orphans and widows is a core value of God's church. The Old Testament speaks much about the care of widows. Exodus chapter 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. You are to care for widows and orphans, church. And it's there in the New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 27. Women of the Word ministry are going through James at the moment as a book. And they've found this religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, caring for the vulnerable starts with those in the church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. Because widows and orphans are those who have no family except what? Our church family. Widows and orphans have no other family now. That's why they're widows and orphans. But now they're part of the church family. And the widow is not being cared for here. Well, that is a sad state of affairs. The great commandment given by Jesus to us is to love God and love people. And the great commission given by Jesus is to make disciples of the nations. And what do we see here in this situation in Acts 6? Both of those things are being broken. You see, first we, we see this. The great command to love is not happening. Somehow there's unfairness. It's not love. And secondly, we see this because that's happening. The complaints are risen. They're not able to continue making disciples as they ought. As we do, as we want to make disciples, as we want to love, which is the very heartbeat of our church, we want to do so to all nations, to all people groups, which means in Acts 6, they had to recognize that this, this division among ethnicity, this division among people groups is a real problem for any church. It can be, it could be a problem for reforming church. When I first moved to Bendigo 12 years ago, they used to say Bendigo was a very uh, white town, but it's increasingly a beautiful mix of the nations coming to Bendigo. I think that's wonderful. Because we are to make disciples of the nations. In Bendigo and beyond, so we want to be actually supporting and praying for mission work around the world that does that among the nations. And, and here's what we really want to be praying for. 
churches that are of the nations. Churches that are mixed with a unity of different people unified in Christ Jesus. Where there's not so much Greek or Jew or Hellenist or Hebrew or Chinese or Anglo. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. And this means something for us, Reforming Church. This means something. We need to always be aware of how much hard work it is to maintain unity of love with different people. And we need to work at that because Jesus commands us and commissions us to work at that. Jesus has not designed the church to be a church of just Aussies. Jesus has not designed the church to be a church of just Chinese people. Jesus has not designed the church to be a church of just Korean people or just African people or just Anglo-Saxon people or just... It's not designed that way. Jesus has designed the church to love all, to welcome all and not to divide. Instead, he calls to save and gather all in his church. So that here a complaint in Acts 6 cannot be ignored. Like, it's, it's not a cause for leadership to say... You know what? You know what we should do? Let's, let's fix this. Let's have a Hellenistic church and a Hebrew church and we'll have two separate congregations only with a homogeneized kind of unit in that only the same people in each congregation. Let's, let's fix that. Can I tell you, churches have tried and here's the end result. It doesn't work. Like it works humanly speaking, but it actually doesn't work to display the gospel because if you've got a church of just only one type of people, like, if you've got a church of, say, this is just a church of people who like red cars. Extreme example. But you know what I mean? If we had a, per- a church of just had only one like, the only liked one thing, or they only like each other, they'll never learn what it is to love people that are different than them. They'll never learn what it means to say, let's go across a language barrier of only knowing red cars and, and actually love people that like blue cars. You see, if we don't have mixed churches, then it won't actually display the glory of the gospel to the world. People look at a congregation, if we're all the same, and say, nothing special about that. But if we're all so different, with such different backgrounds, people will look on, our neighbours will look on and say, what is so powerful about that that gets those people together? And you know what our answer can be? Let me tell you about the gospel. You see, that's how Jesus has designed the church, to make disciples of the nations. The nations look on, our neighbours look on and say, look at that. I want to be part of that. I want Jesus to change everything for me too. And for leadership of a church, that's why it can't be ignored. A leadership of a church cannot say it's not our problem or let's fix the problem by taking it away and they won't be near each other to complain. That's not how we do it. We, we don't just take people in conflict away from each other as if that fixes things. In fact, it doesn't fix things. Conflict is never to be addressed by stepping away, walking away. It is to be addressed by walking toward with love. Because that's how Jesus addressed the conflict between us and God. He came toward us. Now, if you're a leader, I'm speaking particularly to our leaders in our church, but any leader listening or anyone who aspires to leadership, if you're a leader, your role, among many things, is to be the receiver of complaints and care for those with complaints. That's one of your roles. Leaders will lose at leadership if they are conflict avoiders. 
Because to avoid conflict, you must ignore people. And you have a lack of love for them. Can I just say, let's be honest, I have found this hard to learn. But a disciple, what is a disciple? The word disciple means learner. And as a disciple, as a learner, a leader is an example disciple. Leaders are learners. Leaders are learners who ought to care for complaints by recognizing the problems, owning it, and leading by loving people. And that is what the apostles here in Acts 6 do. The leaders of the early church, look at verses 2 to 3, they love them by responding and organizing ministry. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. They organized ministry. The twelve, as they're known here, the twelve apostles gather the whole church of Jesus' disciples and they do something that is beautifully Presbyterian. They form a committee. A diaconate of sorts. To serve so that physical needs are cared for. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our subordinate standard, it's not the, the, the main standard, the main standard is the Bible, but our confession just says what we believe the Bible is saying. But the Westminster Confession says in chapter 26, section 2, saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship communion in the worship of God and performing such other spiritual service are to tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities. In other words, we had to care for one another in our material needs. This organized ministry is meant to be part of the church of care. It's meant to be embedded in our church culture. And what plays out in the organizing of ministry here is seen with structures and systems implemented in the scriptures again and again and again. We see this throughout the Bible. I know there are some in gospel ministry. I read newsletters. I hear what's said. I know some in gospel ministry say things like, oh, we don't need structures and systems. Don't worry about church buildings. Don't worry about boards of management and structures and systems. That doesn't last very long. It won't work beyond Wednesday. You see, if you want to pit structures and systems against people ministry, you want to divide the two, you're actually dividing what the Bible does not divide. It's unhelpful, as so many books and folks have pointed out. There are many leadership books based around the Bible, written using the Scriptures as, 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 as example after example. Of this. You, you can't divide the need for trellis and vine, for systems and structures and paperwork. You actually need both. You even need church buildings. Look, as an aside, after COVID, there are many churches that aren't blessed like we are blessed to have a church building. That's going to be really hard, long road for some. But we're so thankful to have these systems and structures, aren't we? And look, the folks and the people that write books will say this. There are old books, like you could read Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor. He's a whole ministry of organizing ministry and how we care for people in that book. Systems and structures are necessary. You could read The Trellis and the Vine and the related book, The Vine Project, Wisdom and Leadership. You could read Conviction to Lead by Al Mould. You could read Sticky Teams or Simple Church, Gospel Driven Church by Jared Wilson, The Deliberate Church. You could read Leading One Another, The Word Centered Church, Compelling Community, Jamie Dunlop. You could read all this stuff. It's really helpful. But again and again, my point is this. All of them show this, what the Bible shows. You need 
the vine work and the trellis work together. Reforming Church, when we say we're thankful for the Board of Management, we're not just saying that because we need to remember we've got a Board of Management. Like We're really thankful for those who do this kind of work. It's not like the wisdom and leadership books are the ones that discover this. You can look in the Old Testament. It was Moses' father-in-law, wasn't it, who said to Moses, you've got this people of God, there's, there's like heaps of them. How are you going to care for them? And so he actually advised Moses to have systems and structures in place. People looking after people. 1 Timothy 5, classic text. What is 1 Timothy 5's point? Paul writes to Timothy about leading a church and he says, you're going to need a widow's list because churches need to work out how to care for people best. And so here in Acts 6, they organize ministry. They pick men of good reputation, genuinely born-again believers, full of the Spirit, and these are wise men. Now, potentially, and scholars and commentators talk about whether they're all Greek-speaking and that's why they're picked, so they're helping particularly the, the Hellenists in the situation. Maybe, but, but, but we see here these men are not picked for their language skills. They're picked because they're full of the Spirit, wise and godly. And they're commissioned for this work before the whole church. It's kind of like the church website saying, here are your leaders in this ministry, their names, their contact details, and such and such likes good coffee and such and such likes AFL or something like that. Right? Basically, it's a public thing. We commission these people in front of the whole church for this work. And what does this teach us? Churches reforming. We need to organise ministry. As Christ commands love of people... Command can be organic, but command will also, this command to love, will also need to see some organisation to it. See, we can organically love each other and just expect it to happen, and it does. But as a church grows, multiplies, which is chapter 6, verse 1, isn't it? More disciples. As a church grows, it's much easier to miss people on the fringes that need care. It's much easier to miss the person who's only there once a month at church or in a COVID situation, you don't see them at all. It's, it's really easy to miss people, which is why we need organized love in church. So the gospel ministry can grow to reach more people. So the mission of Christ's commission, as he commissions us all, continues to make disciples. And so for the apostles in verses 4 to 6, they do this. They organize ministry so they can devote themselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. They prioritise this prayer, proclamation and people for the whole church. And notice this, the apostles themselves, as they go to be devoted to prayer and ministry of the word, they're not doing this because the other ministry is beneath them. Not at all. In fact, they're probably still involved in some way or form. They don't stop serving people, but they're wanting to work out how can we as a church have godly people with their gifts serving in different roles or different responsibilities for the sake of the body. We say this a lot at Reforming Church. All Christians, when you become members of our local church, Reforming Church, you're enlisted to serve in Christian ministry. And as they serve here, the church, like we serve, we serve also the world, using a variety of gifts and roles and responsibilities in gospel ministry. The apostles show what they want to be a priority for the church, which is Jesus' priority here. 
and they lead by example. They lead by being devoted to prayer and ministry of the word. They want a whole church that is actually devoted to prayer and ministry of the word, but they know that to get that to happen, to make disciples, we need people in different roles serving in different ways. So that even, and we could call just for the sake of this text, whether they're not called a diaconate here, but let's call it deacons, even a deacon like Stephen who serves also is someone who preaches. We know that from 1 Timothy 3, it's, it's, it's elders need to be able to teach, that's an essential thing, and deacons don't have to be able to, but they can. And we see here Stephen, and the very next episode is, is a deacon who also stands up to speak words that are soaked in Scripture. He ends up preaching, which ends up, we'll see next week, gets him killed. But even that's got purposes for God in spreading the gospel, as we'll see. But here today in this episode, what are the apostles doing in organizing ministry? They're organizing ministry so that the whole church can prioritize prayer, proclamation and loving people. There was a few years ago an operation by the US to capture or kill Osama bin Laden. Now, this is quite a turn in the sermon, but this is an illustration. You'll see where I'm going. So, so Osama bin Laden was someone on the list. And as I was reading about this, I discovered that there was a secretive special operations team that ended up being the team that went in to get Osama bin Laden. The name is SEAL Team 6. And as SEAL Team 6 went in to get Osama bin Laden, and they did it so quickly and effectively... Apparently, since then, offices around America, so if you're working in an office or perhaps some other environment, um, apparently it became very common for people to say to one another, oh, I've got this memo, I've got this project, I've got this file, oh, can, can, let's, can we just like SEAL Team 6 it? In other words, let's get it done, effectively. Reforming Church, we've got something better. We've got something better. We could be saying to one another, when a problem comes up in the church, let's act 6 it. We could see how this actually shapes our response to problems. Because the apostles, the leaders of the church, respond that way. What happens as a result? The church devotes themselves all to prayer and the ministry of the word. And in the end, they're led this way so that what happens is Jesus uses this to grow the church. See, how does Jesus lead the church? Who is the chief shepherd? It's Jesus. How does he lead the church? He leads it through his word, the gospel word. That's how he loves his church. He leads his church through prayer and ministry of the word. And so what happens as a result of this is verse 7. Problems come and then verse 7 shows us the summary statement. Acts 6 verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We see this and here's the conclusion. Problems are not to be avoided. No, problems are opportunities for the Spirit's work in us to serve so that the Word of God continues to increase. Let me say that again. Problems are opportunities for the Spirit's work in us to serve so that the Word of God continues to increase. This is not our natural response to problems, is it? It's not my natural response. It's not our natural response to complaints and conflict. But because of the gospel, it can now be our supernatural response. 
And look at this in Acts 6 verse 7. Look at the response. Even priests, even a great many priests become obedient to the faith in Jesus. This is our first growth marker in the book of Acts. Right at the start of the series, we mentioned that there are these six growth markers, six kind of summary statements where there's a problem happens or persecution happens to the church and you wonder, oh, is the church going to survive this? And at the end of each episode, what happens? There's a summary statement. Not only does the church survive, it thrives. And here we have the first one in verse 7. And notice this, these summary statements are not what we expect. We expect them to say, oh, and the church increased in numbers and, and they had just many more people in Olvanto. And it's not what it says. It says, the word of God increased. The word of God increased. The gospel word of God. If they had not have recognized the problem and organized ministry, not only would their fellowship be at stake, their unity, but it would be making it much harder to make disciples. But here we see the gospel word increases. Reforming church, what are our problems? What are our problems? Let's not ignore them. But let's together recognize the problem, organize ministry and prioritize prayer, proclamation and people. What are our problems now, today, this week, in this season of 2020? We've got some obvious ones and perhaps some beneath the surface ones. Let's look at the really obvious problem we've got now as a church. You can call it COVID-19. The coronavirus crisis, that rhymes a bit. You can call it being an ISO. Whatever it is, that problem, it's real. We've been pulled apart from one another. It's not what we wanted at all. Of all the people that want church to be gathered, aside from Jesus, well, it's your leaders, it's your pastor, your elders. We would love to be gathered, but we can't. Not yet. We've been doing about two months of this so far, of being apart, two months of staring into a camera lens, trying to find the pupil, talk to the heart of a machine. No, I want to talk with you. Paul writes to the Thessalonians what we feel, what we feel as a whole church. He says this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, not in, per- not, uh, in person, not in heart, we endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. See, Satan wants us not just to be apart. We need to be apart for the sake of loving our neighbour at the moment. We'll soon be together. But here's what Satan wants more. Even in COVID, Satan's main concern is not to keep us apart face to face. Satan's main concern is to keep us apart in heart. At Paul writes in First Thessalonians, Satan's main concern is that we would not be thinking well of one another, we'd not be loving one another. And you see, especially when we're isolated from each other, when we don't see each other face to face, our relational problems don't get better, they worsen. And if we're not listening with love, recognizing problems, we won't be able to care, particularly we won't be able to organize love in the right way and so a related problem could happen is that we actually end up being secondly unorganized unintentional how we love god and love people make disciples and this is why particularly under covid with under isolation we've called our leaders together in recent weeks we've talked with the whole church about having a few things happening in this period we want to organize love organize ministry 
We've reorganized and redeploying ministries and leaders, but we've done a few things like you'll notice, a church directory. I do hope you're using it. Enjoying the fact that you can contact people in the church and, and ask them how they're going. This is for members and regulars at the moment. We have a meals ministry for people in need, care packages of people in need. We've reopened Reforming House for groups now, started this week. You can look around here, and well, maybe you can't, but there's 10 chairs. Our regulation we're allowed at the moment, 10 chairs for groups. From Monday to Thursday, there are groups meeting every evening. In fact, two on a Wednesday. Groups meeting where we're cleaning it in the right way. And here's what's really exciting, particularly for me. And I I pray, I hope for you too. God willing, in mid-July, we'll be able to reopen Reforming House for church, for gathered worship on Sundays. God willing, all going well, we will be able to do that. And that'll be a wonderful thing. It'll be a bit different, but it's going to be wonderful to be with each other again face-to-face, in heart and in person. We'll do a few other things, of course. We plan to have online explore series of people looking into Jesus, an online belonging series, people looking into membership, making disciples with us as a church. We'll do all these things. We want to organize ministry, responding to problems, so that we can actually organize love for one another. That we would do this to prioritize prayer, proclamation, and people. These things that matter to us. You matter to us. But lastly... COVID and ISO, really any seasonal problem will always expose not just the obvious problems, but the deeper problems beneath the surface, deep in our hearts. A pastor, a friend of mine from New South Wales, he was on a podcast recently, I was listening to, he, he looks after a fairly large church there. His name is Greg Lee, and he said this about what he's noticed in his church and churches around. He said this, that sometimes when it before COVID, people would kind of like go quiet. You wouldn't see them at church and that sort of thing. And that causes uh, pastors and elders and leaders to, to wonder how they're going and care for them and call them and ring them up. But he says, what's been harder under COVID and ISO is this, is that people also go dark, they go quiet on the internet. They'll go dark and quiet by not answering phone calls. You just don't hear from them. And what he particularly said struck me. He said this, we've come to believe that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but it may not. Absence may may grow the heart more suspicious of one another's motives. Because here's the problem with our hearts under COVID. Whether it's COVID or not, our hearts are actually sick by sin. Mine is, yours is. So when we want to love one another and organize this love, we've got to watch out for this ancient temptation to have a lack of love and, and live in terms of us and them. Me and you rather than us in Christ. Sin is our problem. Let's be honest, Reforming Church, you know me well enough. Sin is my problem. Let's just pick me. Sin is my problem. What is Russ's problem? It's sin. Can you see that sin is your problem too? See, even if you're the one with the complaint... Sin is your problem. Or if you're receiving the complaint, which I often am and gladly listening to you, sin is also my problem. Even the receiver of the complaint, if it's a human like me, is a sinner. So can you and I humbly start by saying, you and I have sin in our heart? Can we acknowledge that? Because if we can't, we're going nowhere. We're not being honest. 
But can we humbly say that we're all sinners? And that's going to be so good for us reforming. It's going to be healthy for us. Because if we're going to address the problems of complaints in a church or a lack of love, we're going to need love. But we can't get that love ourselves. We won't be able to love others unless we know the love of Christ first. Unless the love of Christ first addresses our deepest heart problem, a lack of love for God and people. This book we've entitled, well actually it's not us as an title, this is what this book's about. The book of Acts is the Acts of Jesus as he creates unity and by his spirit gives the power to maintain unity so that by his love we love people. Because Philippians 2 verse 7 is true. That Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He died, he, he did that out of love. Jesus changes everything. We will always learn more about ourselves. We'll always learn more about our church. We'll always learn more about our Lord Jesus if we lean on Jesus' Spirit working in us, exposing our sin, showing us our problems, and when it's hard. This is the thing that's true in life. I've always learned more when it's hard. I've learned more through problems than the absence of problems. And what we learn here in Acts 6 verse 7 is that the gospel grows in spite of, actually even because of, problems. That's how powerful the gospel is. The gospel is not hindered by problems. When we live by faith in Jesus, when we see him who took our problems to the cross and left them there, then we see what God can do. I pray this is true for me, our church, for you. Let's pray together. First John 3, verse 18. Little children, reforming church, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Lord, we are moved by your love for us, moved enough to care for people because of your care and your love that took you to die on a cross for us. So now, as we move from online worship to sent worship, fill us by your Spirit, by us being obedient to the faith, by loving Jesus and loving like Jesus, to move into our week of sent worship by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. And we pray this in the powerful and personal name of Jesus. Amen.